joined by Brian Rice. How are you doing, Brian? I'm very well, Ross. Thanks for inviting me on. No bother, thanks for coming on. Um, just want to start off by asking you what your early football memories are. My early football memories is just uh, football on TV, football on radio, playing in the school playground, playing with your mates, just the same as any normal lad. And, but my dad was a bus driver and he used to drive supporters' buses and he used to take me to all the games. And it wasn't always the same team every week. You know, some weeks it was Celtic, Rangers, Hibs, Hearts, Airtry, Falkirk. It didn't matter where it was. I was always going to football. And it's something that's always been with me all my life. And how did you end up getting picked up by a professional team? Well, I used to play with a juvenile team all the way through, the same juvenile team, Blackburn Centre. Uh, when I was 13, 13, I think it was, I signed the s for Celtic. And I used to try, uh, train there once a week. It was a Monday night. Used to get the bus through after school, and at that time, you know, there was loads of good players myself, Pat Nevin, Paul McStay, Willie McStay, Jim McAnally, uh, John Buckley, all these lads. And um, we used to train alongside the young professionals at that time at Celtic that were out and loan at junior clubs. I'm talking about Tommy Burns, George McCluskey, John McCluskey, John Weir, Pat, Pat Bona. These ah. were all young professionals. Mick Conroy was just coming in. Uh, Really young players, and they would train on the Monday night as well because they were playing uh, on the juniors on a Saturday. So it was fantastic. It was a brilliant time. And then when I was just about 16, I got the phone call that uh, Celtic were going to release me. My, my, my dad got the phone call, and the excuse was that I wasn't big enough. I hadn't grown. They couldn't see me growing because I, I wasn't very big at the time. Uh, and so right away, Hibs invited me to go to train there and play a few trial games there. I was only there a matter of weeks and I ended up signing professional there. What would you say are the main differences between academies then and academies now? Well, there's far more far more training and far more coaching now. When we when we went, used to go through to train at Celtic at that in the days, it, it was just going and a lot of it was fitness stuff. You know, we'd up and down the terraces, we'd up and down the stands, the old, old parkhead, yeah, up and down there. Uh, and it was just playing football. But now it seems to be all about coaching. They've, all, they've got sports scientists now, they've got nutritionists, they've got everything to make them better as a person. And you know, there's a lot, lot more coaching now. There's a more more structured uh, more structured program for everybody. You know, there's a lot of more individual stuff for the kids now as well. And everything can get filmed, everything you can watch yourself, they, they can improve you, but they can also overcoach you. You know, that's one of my big gripes that you bring a kid in because he's got some ability. And I think it would, would tend to overcoach the kids. That's just my own personal view. Do you think it's better now than it was back then? I think it's got its benefits. I think it's better. <clears throat> I think football was different then. <clears throat> I think it was more difficult to make it then because you, you look at the squads now, the squads now have got nine subs, seven subs. When we, when we were breaking through, it was one sub, two subs. So the squads were smaller. And it was the same number of kids trying kids try to get a game. I think uh, I think it's very difficult for kids to break through. I think it's uh, uh, picking the right club's massive, you know, that pathway. And that's something I'm really big on, as we'll probably touch on later on. <clears throat> but I can't, I, mean, I had a brilliant grounding, I had a fantastic grounding. You know, we were hard. Frank Connor, Jim Lumsden used to take us at Celtic Park, and it was fantastic. You know, the, there was no molly cuddling you. You know, it was sink or swim. And then when I went to Hibs and I was training at Hibs before I signed, I'd read Jimmy O'Rourke and George Stewart 
uh, Stan Vincent, three really different types of characters, but the, who knew how to get the best of you and knew what it meant to be a professional football player and what you need to do. So it's very, very different. Uh, in fact, it's so different. There's very, you can't compare it, but the kids now are pampered. But it's expecting them. It's the way the world they are expect. They expect things, and most clubs can uh, provide this for them. When did you start getting involved in the first team at Hibs? Uh, I made my debut. I think I was seventeen. I came off the bench against Air United in a League Cup tie. Bertie Old was the manager, and uh, I was actually playing against Stephen Nicol. He played Air United at the time, but it wasn't probably to the next season. The next season that I got a breakthrough uh, when Pat Stanton uh, became manager. And I made my debut at Motherwell. It was funny, I was talking about it the other day somewhere. I made my debut at Motherwell and it must have been December because the pitch was frozen. And we played with training shoes on. The game actually got played with training shoes on. Uh, and I don't I don't forget it. We won one nothing. You know, and I sort of that was me getting my breakthrough into the team and I stayed in it for quite a while after that. And like you say, you ended up making a good amount of appearances for Hibs. Um when did you kind of feel as if the time was right to leave? And move on to pastors now. Well, it's strange because I brought up in an era where I was always playing against Gary Mackay, Dave Bowman, John Robertson, Stuart Gold. These were all players, Boy Maxwell, these were all players that I've seen Westwater, uh, in Westwater. They all went to Hearts and I seen two or three of them moving on. And I just felt, you know, everybody wanted to play in England. Let's let's not kid ourselves. We wanted to play in England. We wanted to play in England because the league was fantastic. The coverage you used to get during the week and at, mid, and at the weekend, and that's that's where the money was. Uh, but very very difficult to get there. But I just felt as though I was getting to an age where this was probably a chance for me to go there. And my contract was up, and the new ruling had come in that. You could leave in freedom of contract and there'd be a tribunal set. You couldn't agree fees and all this. And very, very fortunately, that's what happened to me. And I've seen that uh, Liverpool were interested in you at that point as well. Was it Brian Clough at the Forest that ended up kind of enticing you there? Well, once you meet Brian Clough, you understand why you signed from. Right. You know, and I've told the story many times that it was a phone call when I was in the park playing with my pals. I was playing with my pals after training and my dad came down and says, there a phone call, you better go up the road. And I went up and there was obviously no mobiles no days and it was a house phone. And it was uh, Ronnie Fenton, Brian Clough's assistant. Uh -huh. He says, look, we're really really keen on signing you. Uh, would you like to come? No, I'm for us, you know. Of course I'd like to come. Um, he says, well, go to Easter Road tomorrow, speak to the manager, tell me you're not signing, you won't be back, but don't tell him what club you're signing for. And that's what I'd done the next day and it was John Blackley and Tommy Craig that were in charge at the time and I went in and it was a very, very difficult meeting. I mean, I'm a young lad there, pretty quiet. Uh, had to go up the stairs and see the manager. He's offered me a really good contract at Hibs, you know, and I've knocked it back and told him I'm not coming back, but I'm not telling you where I'm going. And I think back then, you know, it's, I think it's very, very unfair to ask me to do that as a young kid because there's no agents in those days. Right. There's no agents yeah. looking after you. You know, and I'm, I'm talking to John Blackley, who I've got massive, massive respect for uh, and helped me along the way. And I've had to do that. But... That's that's how it was in those days, and uh, and I flew to Nottingham that night, and the, the rest is uh, history. What was your first meeting like with Clough? <laughs> well, I was, I was staying in a small hotel, and uh, Archie Gimble picked me up in the morning, and I'll, he took me in, and as we were getting near the city ground, I'm, I'm getting really nervous because it's Brian Clough. I'd only ever seen him in the hotel, and he's box office, wasn't he? He was whatever he done, whether it was on Parkinson, whether it was in 
match of the day. Where it was on the ball. You'll not remember that. It was a Sunday afternoon program with his best mate Brian Moore, or Sports Night with David Coleman. You know, he was on all these programs. It was just box office. And then when we got into the ground and near his office, actually, Emil chapped the door. We went in and he was sitting behind the desk and he just says to uh, Mr. Clough, I brought the Scotsman. And he had his head down and he just looked up and he went, I'm not going to swear, right? He went, blow me, it's Steve Davis. Because my hair was in a different in there. And I was just in awe. I was just in awe and I thought, oh, it's Brian Clough. It's, it's, it's Brian Clough. I just sat down and we just started talking about football and the first question he asked me, can you head the ball? And I said, yeah, I can head the ball. He said, well, I'll soon find out. And he phoned uh, Archie Knox at Aberdeen. Archie Knox was at Aberdeen, the system manager. And he phoned Archie Knox and I heard him on the phone to him. He asked him all about me. And he come off and he says, I think you'll do me. <laughs> and, and that was it. And there was the negotiations weren't there any negotiations. They were just, right, we'll sign you. I'll phone, he actually phoned John Blackley. He phoned John Blackley when I was sitting there. He says, does he know you're here? I says, well, no, he's told me not to mention it. He says, right, and they phoned him. And there was only about three words spoken when they slammed the phone down. He says, I'm not dealing with him. And I said, well, what, what am I involved here? What am I involved here? But they had another phone call and they, they couldn't they couldn't agree a fee. They couldn't agree a fee for me. And Hibs were wanting more than Forrest were wanting to offer. And so two months, it took two months, over two months for me. It went before it went to tribunal and I couldn't play. I couldn't play friendly games. I couldn't I could only train. So here was me thinking I was going to do there to play football, and all of a sudden I'm stuck in the middle of this uh, tribunal saga. <laughs> Absolute nightmare. Eh? Well, you just want to play football at that age. I, I was uh, I was 21. I just wanted to play football. Uh, that's where I went to England, and I'm, I was training every day, and I was I was getting used to the new players and fantastic players, absolutely fantastic players, a different level from what I'd been at, and that's no absolutely no disrespect to any of the hips whatsoever, but. These were all international players and, whew, you know, it was an eye-opener for me and I wanted to make an impression, but I just couldn't, I couldn't because I wasn't allowed to play until the tribunal was done. Just on that, what do you think the main differences were apart from the quality? The tempo that they played at, uh, the simplicity, how they played and there's nothing complicated and just, it, it boils down to quality. I, I keep saying, I have this debate with Yogi all the time when we're doing something. I say, if we're doing, if we're doing a drill here and you put Chelsea doing a drill next to us, theirs will be better because they've got better players. The, the content's not any different. It's the right. quality which you, you do it with. And, and that was the same there. The, tra- the training was a million times different from whatever goal it is. For any other club I've ever been at. You know, it was just the same every single day. And it, it was just the sheer quality of the player. And I kind of get you on and no talk about your goal at high with it. Ah. Talk me through that. <laughs> I don't think I've spoken about it before. Ah, well, I thought I thought you'd lunch me if I didn't <laughs> mention. No, not at all. You know, it's uh, and it's funny because Forrest have drawn Arsenal in the cup again, and I think Forrest had never beat Arsenal in the FA Cup before, and we drew them away in the quarter final at Highbury, old Highbury, and we had a good record against Arsenal. We had a real good record, especially down down at Arsenal in the league in that sort of period of time, and. Uh, the first half was pretty even, although we had a couple of chances. And then we went one and up. Paul Wilkins scored. Well, Paul Wilkins scored a great, a great goal, a, a terrific strike. Then second half, uh, a sort of counter attack, and Nigel Clough played a, 
a fantastic pass then, a fantastic pass and it split the defence and I took a touch and before I knew it I was through I was, I was through and John Lukic was coming out to meet me and it's uh, I don't know I always felt confident when I had a one-on-one with a goalkeeper and when people say what did you think I said I'm just going to chip him because my nickname's Chipper isn't it and it's, it's, it's that for a reason and I just I just felt as though I could score I felt as though I could score and the thing was, I wasn't sure who was going to catch me because Andy could have caught me, you know. <laughs> but uh, when I look at it, I think it was uh, Winterburn, Samson, might have, uh, might have been O'Leary and Adams, something along those lines, and they're chasing you, you know. But I think it helped me when my first touch was, it set me away. My first touch was good, it was in front of me, and that helped me. And when I went through, it was who makes the first move? Is it me or is it him? And John Lucas is a big lad, he's a big lad, you know. And he made the first move. He sort of planted himself and went down. And as soon as he planted himself, then I, you know, I was lucky enough that uh, I was able to chip him. Is that actually where the nickname Chipper comes from? No, it's, it actually comes from uh, the dressing room at Hibs. The dressing room at Hibs with a, with a gym at Hibs where we used to go down every day and play because we were on the YTS. We weren't allowed to leave. We started at nine in the morning. We weren't allowed to leave to five at night. So when all the jobs were done or before training, we'd get into the, the wee gym. And it was just with benches down at each end of the gym and it was to score a goal, you'd chip, chip or try and hit the bench. It was always, you could always chip them if you, and it, it was just that, just practice and practice, practice. And I used to practice all the time, hitting the crossbar. I used to put the boys down all different angles around about the box, just outside the box and try and hit the bar. Five boys, I'm not going to hit it three times, four times. And just keep doing that, keep chipping it, chipping it, chipping it. And it sort of just came to that. And towards the end of your spell at Forest, you ended up a few more moves. What do you think the main benefits of them were? Well, at that time, uh, I had a couple of injuries and I was coming back for injury and I was playing away in the reserve, but the team were flying. And let's say there was only two subs, I think, in those days. So there was maybe five or six years left out. But it's so destroying. And I know it is. And I feel for boys that aren't playing and training all week. They're the hardest guys to manage. They're the hardest mm-hmm. guys. They love to play and love you. See, the rest, they hate you. Their families hate you and their friends hate you. And it's just the way that it is with football. Everybody's putting the same shift in during the week, but you can only pick 11. And it was the same. I wanted to get game time. I wanted to play. I just wanted to play football. Uh, and I, I liked it at Grimsby. I was only there a couple of weeks and I, I pulled my hamstring. Um, but when I went to West Brom and I went to Stoke, it was fantastic. I loved it. It was a good level we were playing. It was like championship football. I think the benefits then were... It was the game time, the game time, and, and it let other teams see you because if, if I wasn't going to Bait Forest, then other teams could see you playing uh, a different level to see if they, they would do you. And I think that's where Jim Jeffries saw me actually when I was at Stoke. And at Forest, you had a bit of a cult hero status. How do you think? What more think it was about you that ended up getting you that status? Well, I think the goal at Arsenal definitely helped. I think the goal at Arsenal helped, you know. And I don't know. I, I don't, Brian Clough used to, you know. Brian Clough was fantastic with me. He took me under his wing. He looked after me. You know, he really looked after me and my family. Uh, I, I, I really don't know. I don't know. And it's, I still go down. You know, I get invited down. I go down once or twice a year and you go and meet the, meet the people in the, the corporate stuff and all that. And just meet people who used to work at the club as well. And I keep in touch with loads of the players. You know, we're, we were a big family and it's, it's a fantastic place to play and it's a fantastic place to live. But, I don't know where the cult bit comes. I just don't know. I just, I just see it happen. And that's how I see it. And um, I'm sure we'll touch on it later, but on Clough, just lastly, 
what, do you think you took a lot for him into your own management and coaching? I think you, I think you always take something for somebody, you know. And if I never took anything for Brian Clough, then I, I'm the run game. I'm the run game, definitely. But you could never replicate. I think you take things and you do it your own. Simple wee things. If we meet injured, we get just, we get just told get up. The fizzer's not coming on. Get up, and it's amazing if you just do that. And let's say, oh yeah, we used to hear in the pitch was turn, turn, get in the box. Don't shoot for 35 yards, get in the box. They can't tackle you in the box when you're crossing, hit front post, hit front post, all this sort of stuff. So certain wee things that I take, I, de- I take that on board uh, and I try and implement them wherever I go. Uh, listen, nobody could ever replicate what he done. N- nobody. Is that one of the reasons that you've got a bit of an attacking philosophy, the fact that you've always been brought up with shouts, say, turn and hit the box and all that sort of stuff? Well, we weren't allowed to pass the ball back. I mean, if you pass the ball back, he was on your back all the time. Or if you picked up and threw it back. I mean, the idea is to score more than opposition, he used to say. Just if they score four, score five. If they score two, score three. <laughs> to me, it's as simple as that. Well, you know, it's not... And I'm saying that, and I'm not, I don't mean it lightly. If you go to Celtic Park or Ibrox, it's very, very difficult. We all know that. But to me, it's about scoring more than opposition. So why, why would I want to set up a team it's going to be defensive when I want to score more than opposition. Let me set up an attacking team. But we'll also want the defensive side as well. For me, it's all about, I'm a supporter. I'm a football supporter. I love watching telly, watching teams going to attack, going to score goals and try and win games. So that's what I want to, that's what I like getting my players and the supporters and to the board and to everybody. Because me as a player, I don't want to play in a team that's going to be in the back foot and defending, defending, defending. I want to be in a team that's going to go and win games. I want to, and I think it's the positivity it sends to the players. That's my biggest thing. The mindset it gives the players. The gaffer's not scared. I'm not scared of going to park at Nybrox and playing two up front or Aberdeen or Paradise or any place. Why? I think. And it's a big gripe of mine. And it's only a gripe of myself. Because a couple of times I played one up front and I, I, I came home and I said, I'm not doing that ever again. I said, the game's about trying to score goals. You have no chance of scoring with two strikers than you have with one. And you've got to compensate someplace else to do that. But it still goes back to my philosophy. If I'm going to get beat, I'm going to get beat trying to win. I'm not going to get beat defending. I'm going to, uh, aye, I'll be on the back foot in a lot of games. But as long as we get a chance to go and win, then that's what it's all about for me. I want to enjoy it. It's refreshing hearing you saying that because a lot of managers, they will go to Ibrox, Parkhead, the bigger clubs, they will just shut up shop, but you just didn't see the point in that. No, oh, you, you've got to be in the back foot anyway. You're going to have to defend anyway, but... If you just go into the sole intention to try to keep them out, they'll eventually break you down. What happens if it's going in for five minutes? Which they yeah, can do at any stage. Right, so it's the lead up to it. It's not so much the game, it's the lead up to it when you're saying to the players, right, we're going to be two up top. And when we get a chance, this is what we're going to do. We're going to get them, we're going to get this forward, we're going to get that. And it's trying to get into their heads. Yeah, this is quite positive, man. This is all right. Whereas you go and say, right, we've got to play five at the back, four across the middle, or vice versa, and one up top. Before you know it, your striker's in a different postcode to the rest of the team. You know, we can't have that. I can't have that. I wouldn't enjoy that. Aye, we got a, a few beatings. But we're also the last team to go to Ibrox and win. And it took a Scott Brown 94th minute goal to beat us at Parkhead. And we won, to, we won at Aberdeen. Hearts couldn't beat us at Tynecastle. So the bigger games, that positivity definitely paid off. And after Forrest, you ended up moving on to Falkirk. What was it that made you want to return to Scotland? 
Uh, the, the most important thing that I've done in Scotland for because my, my daughter was not there. My daughter was 18 months and uh, she had meningitis, nearly died. And we were long, a long way from home. It was only me and my wife. And we were actually was 18 and Emma had just been born. And we, I just felt as though it was time to come home, be near family. And I wasn't getting a regular game. And, you know, in hindsight, was it the right thing to do? My time at Falkirk was fantastic. It was brilliant. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Forest was the best team to play for by a mile, but Falk, it was amazing at that time to play with. The players, the characters. And that's the main reason I come home. But football had a part to play in it, but not as much as my family. What's your best memories of your time at Falk? Oh, obviously when we won the league at Clyde Bank. We won the league at Clyde Bank the last day of the season. Uh, the old Colberry, 10,000 packed into it. We needed a point. Uh, Dunfermline were chasing us. It had been us and Dunfermline for four or five months. I think Dunfermline were playing Clyde last game of the season. They were five and up at half time. Uh, and we, we drew one each. Nicky Henderson uh, scored their goal. Uh, that's his, his son that's in Italy. And his other son, Ewan, that's playing with Celtic. Nicky scored their goal. David Cooper was sent off. And we drew one each. And we won the league that day. But... I had loads of brilliant memories at Falkirk. Fantastic memories at Falkirk. Uh, but that one sticks out. And I, I think that one sticks out in many, many Falkirk fans' eyes. You had spells at Dunfermline, Morton and Clyde before moving on to the coaching. Was that always something that you wanted to do? I've been a football nut all my life. I love watching football. It's uh, it's not just my job. It's my hobby. It's my hobby. If I'm not playing, I'm watching. You know, and it doesn't matter. I can be driving someplace and I see a game in a park, any park. I just thought I'd watch it. Doesn't matter what if it's kids, if it's adults, doesn't matter what it is. I go to all different games. I'm always looking. I think you always see something or learn something someplace. And I'm always doing it. So uh, I used to go and watch the reserves at Falkirk. We'd be playing the first team, but I always went to watch the reserves. Didn't matter where they were playing. I always went. Uh, Kevin Drinkle was player coach, played with the first team, but took the reserves. And then he moved on to become manager of Sterling Albion. And Jim Jeffries called me in his office. He says, look, you go to every game. Why don't you start coming and learning a wee bit about it? Take the team. We'll be there. Me and Billy Brown will be there uh, to guide you, to help you. And it just took off from there. As soon as I got a wee sniff of it, that was me hooked. Absolutely hooked. I think it's like a drug almost, like football in general. You're saying you watch like oh, oh, many games. I, 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 listen, as a, you're, you're going to laugh here, right? You're going to laugh. I watched Australian football at five past six on a Friday morning, then at quarter to nine. Same on a Saturday morning, same on a Sunday morning. I know it's on, I know it's on live. It's just, it's in there. I've got, I watch it because I love watching it. I, I love watching it. There's something about watching football. They've nothing beaten going to a live game. Absolutely nothing going to beat a live game. Especially if you've gone with a purpose. I don't go and just watch the game. I go away. I go away, something to do. Is it, am I going to watch the centre-backs today? Am I going to watch this player? Am I going to watch how they, they defend? I set myself a wee task when I go. I don't just go and sit and watch the game. I watch players from the boys other side of the pitch. What's he doing? Is he lazy? Is he tucking in? All the things that we look for in, as a coach. You know, when I'm in at a club, I don't want somebody to say to me, have you seen that young left-back at Stranard? He's decent. I want to be able to say, hi, boy. Jimmy Hughes, I, he's all right, but he kind of uses his right foot. I want to know, and I want to keep him top of everything, because you never know when you get another chance. That's all, that is fascinating, you saying all that. And 
I'll back up as well. I'm a Livingston fan. I've seen you absolutely loads of Livy games. You're there, you're there all the time, eh? Well, I'm going on Saturday again. Are you? <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, I mean, you can do the good luck charm. Well, listen, Livingston's, uh, I'm a Whitburn boy. I'm from Whitburn. So Whitburn's the closest club to me. It used to be Falkirk, but now it's Livingston. And I have a lot, a lot of time for Livingston. Uh, David Martindale's done terrifically well. The kit man, Lee Chev, is uh, a massive pal of mine. And Yogi's used to work with at Falkirk. known him a long, long, long time. So, you know, I just love going to watch football. You know, and if there's a game on the Saturday morning doing the pitch where my mum stays, I go and watch that. Then I'll go to the game in the afternoon. It's just how I am. It's just it's that drug you talk about. Brilliant. So, how did you get the chance to become Ian McCall's assistant? Uh, well, I played with Ian. I played with Ian at Falkirk, and we were good pals, and we played golf a lot, and that. And then he went in it. He went in at Morton. He went in at Morton, and he phoned me, and that was part time at Clyde. Uh, and he says, "You want to come in with me?" And obviously, I, I jumped at it. I jumped at it, and we went for there, and a bad experience for the owner there at the end of the season, you know. And then he got, he got the job at Airdrie, Airdrie Owners, it was at the time. Uh, Steve Archibald had just left. And it was a very difficult job, really, really difficult, because the fans loved Steve Archibald for what he'd done and the players they brought to the club, rightly so. Uh, but we'd done well there. And then Ian actually moved on and he moved to Falkirk and I stayed at Airdrie and helped Sandy Stewart. Eventually, when Ian left to go to Dundee United, Owen Coyle and John Hughes, Yogi, they got the player manager's role together. But they'd nobody in the dugout because the two of them are playing. So it's not very often that'll happen, but it was just one of those things. And they phoned me and says, Look, we're playing. I want you on the bench come in. And that was the start of the, the Falkirk days. And you've got to tell me about Yogi. I mean, the guy's just an absolute legend. What's your best man, best friend he's working with him? Oh, working with him has been incredible. You know, he's me and him are. We're 24 7, 365. We stayed together in Inverness, shared a house, and everything was just football, football, football. Uh, we travelled when we were at Falkirk, we travelled over Britain two or three times a week, driving down to England, uh, looking for players because we couldn't afford scouts. And it was the only time we could turn our phones off and sit in the car. And he would jump in the front and I would drive, and he'd jump in the back of the way back with his sleeping bag and his pillar and fall asleep, and I would drive. And it was just we knew each other, and we do we know each other inside out. I know what he's thinking before he says it, and he knows what I'm thinking before I say it. It's just we're telepathic that way. We've got the same vision, what we want to do, how we want our teams to play. Uh, but he he knows what he's after, and he, he used to come in saying, I want this and I want that. Go and come up with drills or come up with whatever we're going to do to do that. And it, it, we complimented each other that way, and he gave me a, a free role to do the coaching. He would step in and all want it this way, I want this and that. So it worked fantastically well for us. What is it about you two that you think well, makes you gel so much together? I think we spent that much time together. You know, we, we used to go, we never had a day off. We'd have a Sunday off, sorry. If there wasn't a game on a Sunday, we'd have it off. If there was a game on a Sunday, we'd, we'd bet the game. But I remember he says, I'm, I'm, start, I'm going to have a Wednesday off. And I says, what are you having a Wednesday off? He says, well, I'm going to start taking the wife out for something to eat on a Wednesday afternoon, Bev. And I thought, he's lost his marbles here. He's definitely lost his marbles. First Wednesday, they went out. My phone rang. Lunchtime. It was Yogi. Big guy, Yogi. She said, oh, it's Bev here. She says, you don't got to believe this. I says, what is it? She says, we're in such and such. He told me to phone you. I said, what he likes to eat in here. I says, what? She says, I says, says, you'll know what to order for him. 
And that, that's, that's the relationship we had, you know. Whenever we went, I just ordered the food. Oh, he likes this, he likes this one. She says, you still like a married couple. She says, you know me about the Nadi. <laughs> and that's how Thank it was. I think as well, he's had like similar philosophies. Oh, there, 100%. You kind of work with somebody all these years and have different philosophies and have different ideas. You've got to have the same philosophy. And we'll, we'll argue, we'll debate. We'll not argue, because I wouldn't argue. But we'll debate. Uh, and we'll discuss things and we'll look at things and they'll ask me why you want to do it that way and I'll, I'll explain and then the day he'll decide no we're doing it this way or yeah we'll do it that way we'll go this way uh, and that's healthy he doesn't want me there just saying I okay 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 it's healthy having a debate as long as you, you've got you can back it up with reasons and that's one thing he gives you your place and he listens he's a really good listener but at the end of the day he's a strong character and when once he decides this is the way we're going, that's the way we're going, and I'm all in behind him. It's good to see him back at Dunfermline as well. Hope he does well there. Eh? Oh, he'll do well there. He'll do well wherever he's. It's unbelievable. He's never had a chance at a big, big club. I'm talking yeah. about a big club with, with his record. You know, getting to cup finals into Europe, provisional clubs, players he's brought in, players he's, he's lost. Incredible, incredible. That somebody's never took a, a big, big chance on. I actually don't think he gets enough credit as well for the job he done at County last season, to be honest. Oh, fantastic. fantastic. County were on their knees last season when they went in. That was my saving grace. County went on their knees, but as soon as they went in, I knew, I said right away, you know, he'll resurge him. He'll get them back going. He'll get them going. And, and to be fair, he did. He did. And am I surprised? Not in the slightest. Not in the slightest. Oh, we were surprised our Premiership club didn't take him, to be honest with you. Well, listen... He's been a, he's won cups with small clubs. He's took small clubs to Europe. He's produced players. We've developed players. We've sold players. What maybe you want of a manager? The CV I mean, speaks like, himself. It, it certainly does. It certainly does. And it doesn't blow his own trumpet. You know, that's his problem. So I want, I want to ask you about this because how does a wee, how does a guy from Whitburn end up in Qatar? How does that opportunity come about? Well, I work with the SFA as well during the summer. I do the the licences during the summer because two weeks holiday is enough for me during the summer, you know, and I love being on the training pitch. And I get as much out of it as the candidates get out of it because I see different ideas and I meet different people and it's it's a brilliant it's a brilliant two weeks, three weeks, whatever it may be. And I met a Moroccan lad there who was on his courses and then he, he just phoned me out the blue and says, I work at this club and... Qatar, would you like to come? And I thought about it long and hard. And I said, Aye, why no? Why no? Let's go and have it. Let's go and see something different. Let's try something different. Uh, and it was fantastic. I started working with under 17s first season, beginning of the second season. I knew a coach had come in during the first season for the first team and came to watch us. And then he, he called me and he says, I want you to come and work with the first team in the reserves now. And that's what I've done for the next two and a bit, two and a bit years. I went and worked with him. And the coach I went to work with was a boy called Laszlo Baloney. Now that might not mean a lot to a lot of people, but if you go and look him up, he's the guy that gave Ronaldo his debut at Sporting Lisbon. You know, he's been manager of Sporting Lisbon, Romania, and Monaco, so many clubs. So his last club there was a Paris Nikos. And he also was a player. He played about 110, 15 times for Romania. He played for Stoia Bucharest when they won the European Cup and beat Barcelona on penalty kicks. Because I was in his office in Qatar one night. We were sitting watching bits on the tail and he says, 
the boy scores to the left there with this penalty and he does. He says, this boy misses to the right. I says, how do you know? He says, because that's me. It was still a book arrest when they beat Barcelona in the European Cup final. So his pedigree was amazing. Yeah, amazing. You know, if you don't know his history, if you ever read about Ronaldo, Ronaldo talks about him loads in his books and then everything he says. He was like a father figure to him. What did you learn from him? Oh, I learned so much from him. I learned so much from him in different ways of coaching, uh, different fitness levels you need to get him to, different ways to handle players. Uh, it was great. I loved it. I loved just picking up. I used to go home every night and write out his sessions that he's done. And I would email up to Yogi. I would email up to him. He was at Inverness at the time. So, you know, <laughs> I'm learning for him. Yogi's getting them off me. And then he would phone me and, then, and we'd talk about it and that. So, like I say, you know, you, you can, you, you, you've got to keep learning and keep learning every day. You need to learn. Yogi taking all the credit for the drills. When they go right, aye. When they go wrong, no, they're my drills. <laughs> and after the time they Scotland, you had a couple of spells as assistant. What made you want to go solo and go to Hamilton? I never wanted to be. I never wanted to go solo ever. Ever. I was. I, I love my role. I love my role. I love working as an assistant. I love being on the training pitch. I love being in amongst the boys and in the dressing room, setting the drills up. No having to deal with boards, no having to deal with media, no having to deal with other things that you have to deal with. Uh, and then the opportunity came for Hamilton. And it's probably the only club I'd have done it for at that time because uh, I'd worked with the Hamilton boys in 1997 at Clyde. And I knew them. And the owner, Ronnie McDonald, was somebody uh, that I knew really well and I knew was a real football person. And I knew the Hamilton model. Hamilton model always was the academy, develop players, give them a pathway, sell them, reinvest in it, and keep churning them out, churning them out. And anybody that knows me knows that's my passion. That's my passion, the kids. I never, ever, ever forget that the opportunity I was given with Bertie Old and then with Pat Stanton as a 17-year-old. I never forget that, because if they, they ever showed faith in me and made the pathway for me, I don't know what I'd be doing in life now. Uh, so I see, I've got to put something back in. I've had 40 odd year of football. I need to put something back in. And my, my idea of putting something back in is getting young players in, developing them, and giving them a chance to make something out of their life. Uh, and Hamilton offered me that opportunity to, to, to do that. They bought into that big time. And they sort of got away from it a wee bit. They signed some older players and whatever and changed their philosophy a wee bit. But they wanted to get back to it. Uh, and over the next two and a half years, we definitely got back to the amount of kids we were bringing through and producing. Right through for you, and George Cairns in the Youth Academies, all his coaches, the fantastic job George does with all of them. Uh, Brian Potter, the goalkeeper. And you had Brian Potter, the goalkeeping coach, Guillaume Boozlin, the, the coach, George, uh, George Cairns, and head of youth. You had myself, first team coach, first team manager, head coach, whatever you want to call it. We'd train in the morning, train in the afternoon. Then the kids would start coming in from five o'clock to nine o'clock at night and we'd boot in the pitch room. We'd boot in the pitch as well and amongst all the kids, make sure they're getting the proper coaching. Being in amongst it with the kids because it's the only way you've got to keep these good kids if everybody's in it together. And that's what they do at Hamilton. And it's, it's, a, it's a fantastic club for any young kid to go to. I take it you knew a lot of like how the youth players were doing and what their qualities were because I presume that you were always at the reserve games, youth games. I go, to, I go to their games, yeah. Friday nights, you'd always see me at the under-18 games. Doesn't matter where it is. Dundee United away, Kilmarnock away. Doesn't matter where it is. 
I was there on a Friday night watching the kids. I don't want him, I didn't want a, a kid at Hamilton to know my name and I didn't know his name. Didn't matter if he was seven year old or 17 year old. I, I thought I was disrespectful that a kid would know me and I wouldn't know him. So I was in amongst them. Yeah, just being there, you know, I would love to have been when I was a kid that the manager or head coach was there watching this training, just watching even. But I used to get involved in them. It's just, it's in you. Once you see them playing, you're in amongst them and that, you know, and getting a laugh. And at the same time, bringing them out their shell. But that's one thing about Hamilton, you know, they do produce players uh, and they'll always produce players because they work really, really hard with them. It must have been a massive attraction for younger players. Because I imagine similar areas, you'd have Celtic Rangers looking at them, but there's a clear pathway at Hamilton, especially if you were there, you know, every week watching them. Well, I'm telling them when I'm trying to get them to sign, I'm saying, I don't care what age you are. If you're good enough and you train well, you'll play. It's up to you. You know, I'll give you the opportunity, but you need to seize it. You need to take it. I'll definitely give you it. If I see you're doing well enough, you're behaving and you're training well and you're getting everything you've got and I think if you th- if I think you're ready, you'll go in. We've done it. I've done it. There's, there's kids in there at 18, 19 year old with 30, 40 Premier League experience, uh, games under the belt. You can go to the other clubs where they maybe can't afford to do that as in the fact that they have to win every single week or they need to do this and need to do that. But the model at Hamilton was if they're good enough, get them in and that's what we've done. What do you think the biggest challenge? Well, what did you find the biggest challenges were it being the Hamilton manager? Well, the biggest challenges obviously were uh, with the lowest budget, with the lowest attendances. Uh, our squad wasn't as big as the other the other teams. Uh, it's just like everything else. You, somebody's got to be the underdog. It's just something that happened to us most of the time. But the challenges were were trying to convince some players that. We could win at Parkhead, we could win at Ibrox, we could win at Easter Road. Yeah, I don't want somebody going to have a defeatist attitude, but sometimes when you get experienced players, they know it's highly unlikely we're going to win here at Parkhead today. Whereas the young ones, they don't care. They go and play with freedom, you know, and that's what I loved. And come to the end of the season, and this is where I disagree with a lot of people. People say, oh, you can't throw young ones in, they'll this and that. I disagree. I think it's older ones that freeze. I think it's them because they've got too much to lose. They're paying mortgages, they're paying bills, they need it, but whatever they, they, need, they need to do to, it, sometimes there's too much pressure on them. Whereas the young ones just go and be everything they've got and it's new to them and they love it. And you've got to have a mixture. I can't throw seven young ones in. I wouldn't, that'd be stupid. But a good mixture, you know. And I think the young ones bring out the best in the old ones. The old ones can help the young ones, but I think the young ones bring the best out in the old ones with their energy and enthusiasm. I, just my philosophy. Isn't it? No, I agree with you. Spot on. Um, how do you feel? I think you've got battered quite badly with um with COVID. What was that like managing through that spell? Still ongoing now, but during the first lockdown and that. That was horrendous. That was horrendous. Yeah. Everybody's got gripes about things, but I thought we were hard done by. I thought we were really hard done by. Uh, there was a couple of games, two or three games that we we struggled to field a team and they wouldn't put the games off for us where I've seen other teams getting games off. We got the points for St Mirren calling a game off. Then they took the points back off as they made us replay it. You know, uh, in all fairness to everybody involved, I'm talking about them that make the, the rules, it was changing on a, a daily basis, not a weekly basis. Everything was changing on a daily basis. The, the first game it got called off, we were meant to go to Aberdeen in midweek. Aberdeen had eight players just, uh, 
out with COVID after they'd been out after a night out after the first game of the season against Rangers and Constein right. had been sent off. So they'd have missed nine players. I'd one player missing going to Aberdeen. The game got called off. The time the game came round to play, Aberdeen had one out. I'd seven out. I should take seven out of my squad. So there was a turnaround to something like 15, 16 players for what would have played. You know, and just three things like that. It's, it's easy to sit here and blame. I'm just, that, that's the facts. That's just the facts. Nobody's to blame because the rules were changing on a daily, a daily basis. But I just felt as though we were, we were a wee bit hard done by. I don't think it's an excuse or blame culture. I don't really agree with you. I don't think there was any rhyme or reason to the way games were getting called off, if that makes sense. No, well, how can, how can I have how can I have, uh, how can I have six players out and I need to play? Then I'm going to play two weeks later and the other team's got six players out and the game's off. Impossible. Me, it's, got, it's got to be a level playing field. And I don't think it was at that stage. And I'm not blaming anybody. Uh, because I know how difficult it was to handle for everybody. I, I, I appreciate that. You know, there's metro life in football when it comes to that. You know. What did you feel your biggest personal achievements at Hamilton were? Sorry. Yeah, what what did you feel your biggest personal achievements at Hamilton were? Keeping them in the league. Keep them in the league. You're going to league every game. You're an underdog every single game. If, if you if you asked anybody, they would never be the same favourites to beat Hamilton. They'd always be favourites to beat Hamilton. You know, so keeping them in the league and some of the performances, going to Aberdeen and winning 2 nothing. You know, uh, Hearts never beat us. Hearts never beat us when I was there. We're the last team to win a league game at Ibrox. Uh, March 2019. I remember that, yeah. I was the same, eh? Oh, uh, well, I, I, 2020, was it? 2020, sorry. 2019. 2019. Uh, you know, and it just shows you, you need luck in football. Oh, Rangers had 32 attempts to go, we three and won one nil. So, you know, sometimes the gods shine on you, and sometimes you get that bit of luck that you need. Uh, and we certainly got it that night. But that week was a big week for us because we played Motherwell Saturday Rangers Wednesday and Kilmarnock Saturday before the league shut down and we took seven points and we never conceded a goal we drew nothing each with Mullow at home we beat Rangers 1-0 at Ibrox we beat Kilmarnock 1-0 in the last minute penalty on the Saturday and that was the league closed after that so those seven points helped us you know so that was a that was a massive week for the club See that happen again this season obviously with us new variant and that I don't think it will happen again. No, I don't think it will happen again. I think, I think lessons were learned the last time. Or if it does happen again, then I think, I don't think it will happen. What happened to Hearts? I yeah. don't think that's right. Yeah. But I don't think that's right. What happened to Hearts? Uh, but it's the first time. Nobody could foresee this coming. Nobody could foresee this coming. And it's a, everyone's a learning curve. As long as you learn from it, you know we, we can all put up with mistakes and whatever. But we can't keep making the same mistakes. And that's the same for players. Whatever they do in the field they play, I can put up with mistakes. But don't keep making the same mistake. You know, because you've got to learn. Same as a manager. Same as I learned loads and loads and loads about myself at Hamilton. I'll be a better manager next time or a better coach or a better person next time if I get the opportunity to go back in. Just on that, I take it you're looking for the opportunity to get back in and coaching or management. I am now. I am now. The time was right for me to leave Hamilton. Time was right. Uh, time was right for Hamilton. The time was right for me. It was affecting me. It was affecting my health. It was affecting everything about my life. 
and I just felt as though, you know, I, I couldn't get everything again. If I get into anything, I get everything I've got. Uh-huh. I get everything I've got. Every, it doesn't matter what I do, I get everything I've got. And I just felt as though I was getting dragged down a wee bit. My health wasn't great. I was not sleeping, no eating. All the different stuff that go on. The COVID situation, I felt as though I wanted to get out the bit of Hamilton, the injuries. And I, it just wasn't helping. And I wasn't helping the club. So it was the right decision. But I've been away from it now for maybe three months. I've been away on holiday. I've been refreshed. I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm, you know, so we'll just see what happens next. We'll be back soon. Um, it's all right with you. We'll finish off with a quick fire question now. Yeah, sure. So what manager you learned the most from? Uh, I better say you, eh? <laughs> well, obviously Brian Hughes, but you learn for some, you learn some for everybody. But you've got to go with Brian Clough. Your best mate in football. My best mate in football, Yogi. The favourite goal that you've scored. I have all for Hibs against Dundee United three three. The best stadium you've played in, or coached in. Oh, good question. Wembley. The best player you've either played against or coached against? Best player I've ever played against? Oh, it's two. Paul Gascoigne, Enzo Schifo. Your biggest achievement in football? Keep Hamilton in the Premier League. And lastly, the favourite game that you've managed in? Beating Rangers 1-0 at Ibrox. <laughs> Perfect. Top man, Brian. Thanks a lot for coming on. No problem at all.